Chapter Three of the History of Burke and Hare and of the Resurrectionist Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The History of Burke and Hare by George McGregor. Chapter Three Tales of the Resurrectionists What the Doctors Did. A record of the share which the doctors themselves took in the resurrectionist work has not been well preserved. Personally, they do not seem to have done much, leaving the active operations in the hands of the students and body snatchers. There was a suspicion, however, that they were not above lending a helping hand in a case of necessity, when they hoped to obtain a special prize. At least they connived at the practice, and undoubtedly benefited by it it has been more than hinted that in many outlying places far from the university centres a good deal of business of this kind was done by medical men who had with them apprentices whom they had engaged to teach the art and science of medicine but who found it impossible to do so unless they had by some means or other the requisite anatomical subjects in these country places the churchyards were watched by the villagers in turn there being a voluntary assessment on the inhabitants for peats to make the fires by which the guardians of the dead sat and smoked their pipes and sipped their whiskey during the long dark nights in a village in the north of scotland it is a tradition that a medical man set out with his students one night to lift a body which they considered would be of value to them the watchers however surprised them and the doctor was mortally wounded by a shot fired by one of the defenders his companions fled, carrying the injured man with them, and a few days afterwards it was announced that he had died by his own hand. Others, again, laid the churchyards of Ireland under contribution, as a story related by Leeton amply testifies. A young Irish doctor, known under the name of the Captain, resided in Surgeon's Square, Edinburgh, and many a barrel containing the bodies of his compatriots arrived by boat at Leith addressed to him and he disposed of them to his friends he was in the habit of telling how when at home he relieved his want of a subject in a rather clever way he had been attending a young man who ultimately died and was honestly interred it struck him that the body was precisely what he wanted and he drove off to the churchyard for it on the way back he met the lad's mother who asked him if it were all right with the grave or poor pat the captain assured her it was and drove her home in his gig which also contained her son's corpse i drove said he the good lady home again without breaking a bone of her body and pat never said a word once he addressed the body of a woman lying on one of the edinburgh dissecting tables ah mistress o'neill did i spare the whisky on you which you love so well and didn't you leave me a purty little sum to keep the resurrectionists away from you and didn't i take care of you myself and by jesus you are there and don't thank me for coming over to see you a somewhat amusing conflict took place between the students of doctors Cullen and Monroe for the possession of the body of Sandy McNabb, a lame street singer, well known in Edinburgh. He died in the infirmary, and Cullen and several others placed the body in a box in order to raise it by a rope to their rooms above. Some of the students under Monroe, impelled by a similar motive, were searching for the body, and they came upon it in the box they shifted it to the other side of the yard, intending to lift it over the wall, but they were observed and attacked by their rivals. A great fight followed, until at last the attacking party had to retire, leaving victory, which meant possession of Sandy's body, 
with the original body snatchers. The doings of the students of Glasgow has already been mentioned, and the influence which Dr. Pattison had in making body lifting popular among them has at least been indicated. Matters in that city were at last brought to a crisis, and the doings of this gentleman and his colleagues came to light. The Ramshorn and Cathedral churchyards were being robbed of their silent inhabitants almost nightly, and the greatest excitement prevailed in consequence throughout the city. Two deaths from what were considered peculiar causes occurred in Glasgow about the beginning of December 1813. On the afternoon of the 13th of that month, both the bodies were interred, one in the Ramshorn and the other in the Cathedral churchyard. The students accordingly made preparations for raising both of them. The expedition to the cathedral was highly successful, for in addition to the corpse they went specially for, the young anatomists put another in their sacks and made a safe journey to their rooms. In the Ramshorn yard, however, the work had gone about rather noisily, and the attention of a policeman stationed in the vicinity having been attracted, he raised the alarm. The students escaped, but they were seen to disappear in the neighborhood of the college. The search was stopped for the night, but the next day the news spread throughout the whole community. Intense alarm prevailed, and the chief constable, James Mitchell, was besieged with inquiries. Many persons visited the graves of their friends to see if all were right. The brother or some other relative of the woman, Mrs. McAllister by name, who had been lifted from the ram's horn, quickly found that her body had been stolen. No sooner was this discovery made than a large crowd rushed to the college and gave vent to their feelings by breaking the windows of the house occupied by Dr. James Jeffrey, then professor of anatomy in the university. The police had to be called to suppress the tumult. At last, the magistrates, forced action by the strength of public opinion, issued a search warrant empowering the officers of the law to enter, by force if necessary, every suspected place in order to find the body of Mrs. McAllister or of any other person. The officers were accompanied by Mr. James Alexander, surgeon dentist, who had attended the lady to the day of her death, and also by two of her most intimate acquaintances. In the course of their search, they visited the rooms of Dr. Pattison in College Street, where they found the doctor and several of his assistants. They were shown over the apartments with all apparent freedom, but they discovered nothing. They had left the house when Mr. Alexander thought they should have examined a tub, seemingly filled with water, which stood in the middle of the floor of one of the rooms. They returned accordingly, and the water was emptied out. At the bottom of the tub were found a jawbone with several teeth attached, some fingers, and other parts of a human body. The dentist identified the teeth as those he had himself fitted into Mrs. McAllister's mouth, and one of the relatives picked out a finger, which he said was the very finger on which Mrs. McAllister wore her wedding ring. Pattison and his companions were immediately taken into custody. They were removed to jail amid the execrations of the mob, who were with difficulty restrained from executing summary vengeance upon them. This done, the officers dug up the flooring of the room, and underneath they found the remains of several bodies, among them portions of what was believed to be the corpse of Mrs. McAllister. The parts were carefully sealed up in glass receptacles for preservation as productions against the accused at their trial. On Monday, 6th June, 1814, Dr. Granville Sharp Pattison, Andrew Russell, his lecturer on surgery, and Messrs. Robert Monroe and John McLean, students, were arraigned before Lord Justice Boyle and Lords Hermand, Meadowbank, Gillis, and Pitmilly, 
in the High Court of Justiciary, Edinburgh, charged under an indictment which set forth particularly that the grave of Mrs. McAllister in the Ramshorn Churchyard, Glasgow, had been ruthlessly or feloniously violated by the prisoners, and her body taken to their dissecting rooms where it was found and identified. The prisoners were defended by two eminent men, John Clerk and Henry Cockburn. The evidence of the prosecution was clearly against the accused, but the counsel of the defense brought forward proof which as clearly showed that some mistake had been made with the productions. They proved to the satisfaction of the law, at least, that the body, or portions of the body, produced in court, and which were libeled in the indictment, were not portions of the body of Mrs. McAllister. This lady had been married and had borne children. The productions were portions of the body of a woman who had never borne children. The result was an acquittal. So strong, however, did public feeling run, that Pattison had to emigrate to America, where he attained to an eminence deserving his abilities. This put an end for a time to the resurrectionist fever in Glasgow, but it was shrewdly suspected that other cases occurred. They must have been few, for the strictest watch was preserved over the graveyards. There was, however, another case which should be mentioned, and occurring as it did at a time when the whole of Scotland was struck with terror at the wholesale pillage of churchyards, and the frequent mysterious disappearance of the living, it caused a terrible sensation in Glasgow. In the month of August, 1828, a poor woman in that city was delivered of a child, and on the same evening some female neighbors observed through a hole in the partition wall of the apartment in which she resided that her medical attendant made a parcel of the newly born infant and placed it below his coat. When he left the house, they raised the hue and cry after him, calling out stop thief and telling all they met that the man had a dead child in his possession. An immense crowd soon gathered, the man was attacked, and the body taken from him, and only the opportune arrival of the police saved him from being torn to pieces by the mob. The officers took him and the body to the station house, the people hooting and howling around them. An examination of the body of the infant was made by several practitioners in the city, at the instance of the authorities, and they certified that it had been stillborn. The explanation was that the young man was a student finishing his course, and that the mother had agreed with him that if he attended her during her illness, he should have the body of the dead child for the purpose of using it as he thought proper. The result of this revolting work in the west of Scotland was not altogether evil, for, as was said by Dr. Richard Miller, for forty years lecturer on Materia Medica in the University of Glasgow, these experiments in the anatomy school of Glasgow lighted up the torch of science in this quarter of the world, and saved the lives of many invaluable beings. End of chapter 3. Recording by Colleen McMahon.